sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast Dr. John Hewson has had several careers in academia, bureaucracy, business, politics, and the media. He's a former leader of the federal opposition in Australia from 1990 to 1994, and he's currently professor at the Crawford School of Public Policy at ANU and an adjunct professor at Curtin, UTS, Canberra, and Griffith Universities, having been professor and head of the School of Economics at UNSW and professor of management and dean at Macquarie Graduate School of Management at Macquarie University. He's worked for the Australian Treasury, Census and Statistics, the IMF, the Reserve Bank, the UN and the ADB and often advises senior public servants. He joins Environmental as Anything today to discuss how far the Morrison government has fallen from traditional liberal values and the terrible impacts on Australian health that that fall has had. Dr. Hewson, thank you for joining Environmental as Anything today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. No, not at all. Look, you've been writing and thinking about uh, renewable energy and carbon pollution for quite a while. In the last couple of weeks, you've been speaking out on the uh, issues of uh, carbon and how it, uh, the, the, the health effects of carbon pollution from uh, coal mines, uh, coal-fired power stations and uh, uh, vehicle emissions. I'd like to get to that later in the interview, but I first of all wanted to, as you have been uh, the leader of the Liberal Party, wanted to get your uh, thoughts on how has the Liberal Party gone from being the party of free market economics to being the uh, practitioners of the command economy? Yeah, look, it's a, it's an amazing transformation in a way, and it's a source of enormous frustration and disappointment to me, I've got to tell you, because back in the early 90s, we had... You know, pretty much unanimous agreement on an environment policy, which was to cut emissions by 20% by the year 2000 off a 1990 base. And, um, you know, if we, I just stop and think, if we'd achieved that in each decade since then, we'd be about half our Paris commitments, <laughs> half the level yeah. implied by our Paris commitments, and we'd be way ahead. To be a world leader than rather than a world laggard, mm. we would have uh, really have a much greater penetration of renewable energy, probably electrification of the vehicle fleet, and um, you know we'd have hundreds of thousands of more jobs, billions of dollars of more investment and growth, all squandered because we're just not only in the Liberal Party seen sort of internal machinations, you know, switching from the likes of Peacock and myself to a- Howard Nabbitt <laughs> and uh, Turnbull and, uh, you know, never never really got back on top of the issue, done enormous damage to the whole process. Had Abbott not only opposing a price on carbon but trying to close down the renewable energy industry and so on. I mean, these are significant steps backward and we've ended up really in no man's land now where the government has not seen to stand for anything and I know yesterday Morrison was out there talking about emissions and emissions reductions here, there, and anywhere I can get them, he says. But on the same, at the same time, he's uh, wanting to just transition to gas from coal-fired power rather than just go straight to renewables, where the emissions are, are negligible and the costs are much lower. So it's a real mixed bag, and uh, Australia's been the loser. 
Indeed, and it's it's a cause for widespread uh, consternation and confusion. But you know, you've been inside that uh, that tent. What do you think has happened? What what what's driving the politics? Do you think uh, that makes well, it makes been, it possible for short, this to happen? Short term politics all along. Ever since we were there, it, it's been short term politics. I mean, in two up in the lead up, for example, to the two thousand and seven election, where Rudd got an edge on Howard, and it looked like Howard was going to lose government. Uh, one of Rudd's key strategies was, of course, climate. He was going to ratify Kyoto. Mm. He's going to have the Ghana report, then a, a white paper, a legislation, very strong statements and, and timetable saying that if he didn't get the legislation through the parliament, he'd uh, dissolve both houses of parliament in early 2010 and, uh, you know, he'd force an emissions trading scheme onto, onto the system. Mm. Well, he failed at that in that he didn't do the last stage. He didn't go to the double dissolution in about February 2010, which I think if he had have done, he, well, heaven forbid, he'd probably still be Prime Minister, but, uh, you know, he would have he would have saved his political skin because that became an issue internally in the Labor Party to get rid of him. Uh, on the other side, of course, it, it provided a platform for Abbott to start to run short-term politics against the Gillard and Rudd governments and, um, you know, abolishing, threatening or promising to abolish the carbon price, mm. the carbon tax, as he called it, and, um, you know, then he thought he'd done that. So he then changed, he scrapped the legislation. He then got into government and started to try and close down renewable energy altogether. And that, you know, that set the cause back a long way. At the same time, the National Party's got a bit emboldened about, um, you know, coal-fired power stations. They had a coal-fired power station in North Queensland, which is novel because there's no demand, no net demand for power in North Queensland. There's um, you know, none of the banks, international banks, will finance it. Or none of our domestic banks will finance it. Mm. Insurers won't insure it, and it's much cheaper to use solar. So I just don't understand, uh, you know, how they've let them drift into a position now where you know there's uh, an undue influence from a handful of climate deniers that have driven the party in complete the parties, the government, in completely the wrong direction. Uh, and inconsistent with an overwhelming volume of public opinion. I mean, overwhelming the volume of public opinion, the science, the economics. There doesn't seem to well, be any the any science, the public opinion. You've got big, big, even the big coal companies like BHP and, and, and Rio have said they're going to move out of thermal coal. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a clear sign, and they're spending a lot of money on their own uh, their own climate change strategies. Um, and you've got uh, the farmers coming out. You've got the business council coming out. You've got all major industry and social groups coming out. Right, you've got right. the investor community driving the superannuation funds out of investing in fossil fuels and climate-exposed investments. There's a massive number of layers to this. And somehow through all this, the government's got a tin ear. Well, we uh, often speculate, I mean, you know, those of us who aren't in there wonder, is this about donations? Is this about corruption? Oh, it is, yes. I mean, there's no doubt that they depend heavily on the fossil fuel sector for, for campaign donations. And, and um, you know, there's been a pretty much a, a misinformation campaign coming out of those companies. Remember the old days of the... The, smoke, the big tobacco companies running campaigns that you know, tobacco really wasn't injurious to your health and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, you're getting the same sort of campaigns, uh, public and private, by the fossil fuel sector. And they have undue influence. The oil companies have undue influence. They just got money to, out of the government to uh, keep so-called our refining capacity going in Australia where they're going to close it down anyway. Um, you know, these, these, are, these are just examples of undue political influence, I'd say corruption, 
uh, it's not direct, it's not brown paper bags under the table, but it's funding a government and giving support to a government. Mm. At the same time, Morrison prides his, his sort of mates in the gas industry, for example, and in the oil industry, and he loves to be well accepted by them. And, you know, they've been having a field day under this government getting support. I mean, you can't defend his gas strategy at all. There isn't a, a substantial commercial argument for it. Mm. There's indeed a substantial moral argument against it. If you could go to zero emissions, why would you go halfway? These are really big issues which, um, you know, don't, don't get ignored. They get ignored by government uh, and basically paying off to their mates rather than than um, looking at what should be done. And you mentioned a market before. I mean, mm. here's a government that's supposed to stand for small government, uh, to believe in low levels of regulation, to believe in market forces and market processes whenever they can. In those circumstances, that's a perfect prescription for putting a price on carbon and getting out of the way and letting the polluters pay and letting all those industries adjust to the, re- to the reality that the dirty coal-fired power or dirty petrol, for example, and diesel and so on, are not in the national interest. And uh, that if they want to run that business, then they have to pay at the margin for the carbon they they inject into the system. That would be a traditional conservative uh, policy response you'd expect from a liberal national government, and they just you know, <laughs> shows you the extent to which they've lost their way. Mm. Yeah, I guess that leads me to, do you see any glimmers of hope? Is there any light on the hill that they might sort of find their way by? Well, yesterday when I heard Morrison t- saying that he needed to get emissions down and he would take them from anywhere, take those reductions from anywhere and puts out a new strategy for ARENA and CEFC to, to actually work, focus on emissions reductions and emission reduction ta- technologies and so on, I was quite enthusiastic. But the day before when I heard him talking about a gas-led recovery from COVID, I was quite disappointed. So mm, mm. which day do you want to believe Morrison on? <laughs> You know, it's, it is, and that's ridiculous. I mean, he's, but as a marketing type, you know, he just goes for the big headline announcement. And an announcement today uh, doesn't necessarily get followed through. Equally, there could be a completely different announcement tomorrow. Very Trumpian, you know, if you want to draw an analogy. Indeed, I think that's a fair analogy. But uh, anyway, maybe we should discuss a little bit more of the detail of your uh, your recent writings about uh, air pollution because it was it really caught my eye. You're talking about air pollution from coal blights young lives even before birth. Mm. Uh, it's uh, you know I should just read a little bit more. Air pollution from di- Australia's dirty coal burning power stations needlessly causes 850 cases of low birth weight and at least 800 premature deaths per year. Coal is also the number one cause of climate crisis. Clean renewable technologies available to prevent these problems and protect young lives. You must be excited to see the school strikers class action uh, going ahead. Yeah, look, I, I have been very enthusiastic and two my digital orders have been very active in that. Um, not not driven by me, just driven by, you know, that whole generation is really concerned about these issues. Uh, they're, they're, they're on it, they understand it. And then um, my eldest daughter did her own, they did their own posters, my wife and I weren't here, and uh, they did their posters for the last student rally and the eldest one, and then 15, said uh, denial is not a policy, was her poster. And the other one, the, the nine-year-old, said that um, you know this is about my future, uh, and um, you know they they get it. Uh, but when I think about the phenomenal global student campaigns and rallies and so on, and the Greta Thunbergs and the and the appearance 
of them on the global stage, I sit back and say, yeah, but what impact did that really have on government policy, policy authorities responding? And it hasn't had much at all. Uh, I know COVID came and sort of been a distraction for the world, but it didn't, it didn't bring the sort of reaction that they were hoping to get. Mm. There's a frustration now that these messages get lost. You mentioned that, that study that was organised by Greenpeace. I mean, that got canned in the media basically because it was a Greenpeace study, mm. but um, which I don't understand because it had some pretty hard evidence for the first time on the impact of coal-fired power on health. And the same is, look, I've been staggered for some years that, you know, there are authoritative studies, not only in Australia, but worldwide, that show that, that um, particular pollution from vehicles, vehicles burning fossil fuel or burning oil or diesel or whatever, petrol, I should say, or diesel, uh, kill more people than road tolls. Mm. You know, and you would think that, I, I'm, I'm staggered, I would have thought that'd be a front page story in the Daily Telegraph or the Herald Sun every other day, you know, mm. until it was fixed. But uh, and these numbers are alarming. They're not just marginal; they're, they're more than double. No, that's right. It's and, a significant. And they kill more people than the pandemic. Well, that's that seventeen hundred a year are being killed by fuel emissions, according to this article. It, it's from, from staggering stuff when you think about. You know, we worry about the death toll as we should from the pandemic and the and the inadequacies of responses that have accentuated that death toll. But the death toll from particular pollution, either from, from power stations or from vehicles, is much greater. Mm. And and we aren't paying attention to that. And you know, I hear the government saying, "Oh, we've paid attention to the science, the medical advice, and the science in relation to how to respond to COVID nineteen, but we'll ignore the climate science, which is much more substantive. It's been building in in terms of substance and credibility over many decades. It's a it's a warning of the magnitude and, and the urgency of the problem. Oh, we won't listen to that science. We'll just, you know, this is ridiculous double standard." Mm. Well, a former Prime Minister who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing was uh, quoted in your article as saying that the price of saving lives from COVID-19 COVID has been too great and people should get on with their lives even in the presence of death. So I was going to ask you about the cost of death. Now, these, these if we're going to talk about things in terms of price, uh, which obviously some people only want to do, what are the, you know, what, what do these, these impacts of uh, 1,700 deaths a year from pollution or 800 uh, you know, deaths deaths a year from the carp from coal. Well, what are, what do they actually impact on the economy? Well, there are a lot of impacts from from this. I mean, obviously, there is a lot of direct personal um, impacts in terms of uh, you know family reactions and consequences, mental illness, all all sorts of dimensions in in terms of that. I mean, the the fact that you don't treat the um, the illnesses that come from, well, the cost of treating illnesses that come from uh, coal-fired power or, or the car pollutions are very significant, uh, and um, they are uh, being borne by the health system as a whole. Um, and um, then, of course, uh, you've got the economic consequences of premature death and mm. and uh, and so on. So there's a lot of elements to it mm. of that. Um, but um, you know, you get Abbott with a double standard, where you know he's over. In the UK, talking about uh, you know paying too high a price in terms of our response to the pandemic, yet he's, he's you know part of the process that ended up with the mandating our dirty fuel for the next ten years, and um, you know um, renewing, avoiding renewable energy rather than coal-fired power. I mean that's a 
which day it's a bit like most which day do you get him on which mm. view is he going to hold mm. Mm. yes it is, it is it's the bellwether <laughs> it's yeah well you know he, um, he worked for me as a press secretary for a while I can understand why you're doing what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> he seems to be good at coming up with uh, three word uh, slogans and three, oh, and three letter acronyms stop the boats, jobs and growth, technology, not taxes. They specialise in those and they get them all out of some focus group, Mm. which is a pretty dangerous way to run a government. Mm. It's the tail wagging the dog, isn't it? That's right. Well, Dr. Houston, thank you so much for your time today. We really should cut it off, but uh, yeah. I really will look forward to being able to speak to you again uh, with, with your thoughts sure. on as, as these processes emerge. More than happy to Thanks so much. That was Dr. John Hewson, eminent economist and former leader of the Federal Australian Liberal Party. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental As Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.